Welcome to the Manager Tools Podcast for Monday, December 25th, 2006. Merry Christmas, everyone. Hi everyone, this is Mike, and welcome back to Manager Tools. Despite the holidays, Mark and I wanted to leave you with a podcast this week. Nothing better than working on your management skills during the holidays, right? (laughs) Well. Also, before proceeding, I also wanted to note that the Members Only podcast for December was published a couple of days ago. If you haven't listened to it, go check it out. Now, if you're not already a registered member, go to the Manager Tools website, www.manager-tools.com, and sign up. It's absolutely free, and there are a number of extra podcasts on the site just for registered members. Now onto this week's topic. You know, it's been over a year since we first talked about presentations, and we only talked about one very narrow aspect of presentations, the use and misuse of PowerPoint. Sure, PowerPoint is important, but even if you master it, your presentations can still be terrible. Presentations are a core skill for managers. If right now you don't consider yourself exceptional at presenting, we believe you're at a disadvantage in your career. We feel strongly that presenting skills are an underinvested skill set, and smart managers know that small improvements in this area can make a big difference. It's so important, in fact, that we'll probably have at least 20 casts on presentations in the coming years. In this cast, we barely scratch the surface to share just one basic principle of great speakers that applies to business presentations as well. You're not going to become great with just this one cast, but you are going to look better than your peers. So let's get on with it. We, we talk about presentations a lot, yet this cast is going to come out probably a year after our first PowerPoint guidance. Uh, it, yeah, it, it will have been a while. Um, it, it, it makes no sense in a way because I'm always giving presentations, sitting in on presentations. I'm sure you've seen millions of presentations. Yeah. Um, and probably between the two of us, there were five that we liked. <laughs> yeah. and, and I sure don't remember the slides, that's for sure. <laughs> nice. Um, yeah, but my point is there's there's just a lot more to presentations than PowerPoint. We've talked many times about being worried that members would get the impression that slides were all we were going to talk about when it comes to presentations. Yep. Um, one, one of our problems has been breaking down all the stuff we have to cover in the Manager Tools University of Great Business Presentations, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> I love that. Um, yeah. There's so much depth and breadth to cover. And often that means we struggle to organize it down into podcast size units. Um, because after all, we do have that member that asked that no show go longer than 22 minutes, which was the exact length of his personal commute. Yeah. Oh, I wonder what we're going to do when he moves. <laughs> <laughs> so this is a good place to start then. You know, with the, let's, talk, let's talk about a, a, a couple core principles when it comes to, to presentations. So principle number one, and, and literally, Mike, this cast is only about one principle. There's enough to talk about with this principle in terms of details, which I've seen when I've coached managers uh, get, get confused around. And the principle is broad, but there are so many underlying details. We want to cover all of them. Principle number one is stand still when you start and be at the power position in the room. Wow. Okay. So... so. One, yeah, I'm looking at my notes here. Just, just one principle. Yeah, That's okay. yeah, it, it's it's big enough that I mean, we we could list. You know, a bunch, I don't know, 15 or so sub points, but I think that's probably too much. And I want to make it clear about 
the principle. And if we just if we ask listeners, and members to li- to remember the principle, I think the underlying stuff will come to them as we as we walk through it. Right. But surely you have some introductory points uh, to share before we get into this one core principle we're going to talk about today. Yes, I have 11,000 of them, <laughs> but, but I'm only going to share a couple, so you don't have to wait. You don't have to wait too long. Uh, let, let's first of all, I, I want to make a point about terminology, because sometimes I'm very clear about what I mean, but I confuse people be, just because of, of different choices of words. Let's start with speech. We consider a speech to be a business presentation, okay? provided, of course, you're talking about business or work. So what we're talking about here works for speeches just fine because speeches are a subform of presentations and, and principle number one, stand still when you start and at the power position in the room, is for all presentations, which include speeches. That said, there are going to be times when, when in the future we give guidance about speeches only and we'll make those points very clear. Um, here's a helpful guideline for most people. The vast majority of managers who are listening to this never make speeches. When we say presentation, which is the most likely way we'll be coaching and teaching on this, we mean almost always that normally PowerPoint-driven internal talk given in a meeting, even a big meeting, even with a 1,000 people there, designed to inform or persuade. Um, I don't want to confuse everybody, but if you're standing and everyone else is sitting, you're giving a presentation. It may or may not be a speech, but it is a presentation. Um, and and I, I, Mike, I did spend an extra minute on that, probably more more than some of our U.S. listeners did, because it would be easy in translation sometime for some of our international listeners to go, well, "What's the difference?" Um, so I wanted to be a little bit more precise about that. Um, and, and look, go a little further. It might give us some fee- people may want to give us some feedback about this. But one of the key signs of a speech is if it is written out word for word in advance. That's not always true, but the good ones sure are. And I talked to a lot of people who say, yeah, i got to give a speech. And, and I said, well, can, can I read it? And they said, what do you mean read it? I said, well, if you're giving a speech, it's written in advance. Um, and they said, no, it isn't. And I said, okay, so you're just giving a presentation. And then I asked, do you have slides? And they say, yes. I said, yeah, you're giving a presentation. It's not a speech. Um, okay, but that is, again, that's ter- terminology. Now, look, if you're interested in deep background, Length, which is, I think, what most managers think of makes for a speech. Um, Length is not a differentiator between speeches and presentations. Arguably, the greatest English language speech of modern times is the Gettysburg Address by Lincoln uh, during the United States Civil War, and it had all of 286 words in it. Uh, It's the only speech that hangs on the wall in my office, um, that's for sure. And to be honest, I don't have any 88-slide decks hanging on my wall. No? (laughs) Though I have seen many, 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 far, 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 far too many of those in my time. I I will never forget my favorite, the 70-plus slide deck used for a 45-minute presentation. This manager, uh, uh, boss, asked me to help the presenter. The presenter specifically knew I was asked to help him. I specifically told the presenter that 10 slides were more likely right in 45 minutes, and he still delivered, tried to deliver 70 slides in 45 minutes. And, of course, it was in the middle of a large agenda. He had a slot in the middle, and five minutes in the beginning were stolen because they were running late, and he was up before lunch, I think, and so people were not listening to the last five minutes anyway. He's very angry that he didn't get his point across. Hmm. It's a classic classic blunder. Um, 
Okay, uh, one more point about our presentation cast, series of casts. We will probably take, as I think we've already alluded to, a very granular, very small approach. The cast may not be, these casts coming up may, may not be short time-wise, um, but we're probably going to cover less content per cast and go a little bit deeper on each point rather than giving a real thin kind of, kind of broad overview. If you're presenting regularly, our goal is going to make it so that you can use each of these casts immediately and layer the learning on top of one another. We don't want to try to say, here are the 17,000 things you have to do in a speech because you're a presentation, nobody will remember it all. Um, the goal is for you to be able to apply everything in each cast immediately, and you don't have to wait for the other casts to be more effective. You won't be effect more effective in all parts, but being more effective in one or two will make you overall better. Yeah, yeah that, that's somewhat of a, su a subtle point, but I hope people get it. You, know, you don't need the whole series to get better right now. You know, I, you know, I was wondering when we were going to get to the principles. Of <laughs> oh, I knew that was – and that's fair. I'm sorry. Uh, I have a – Clear, clearly a soapbox error on my part. Uh, on to the principles. So, again, principle one, standing still when you start. Okay? This one principle is perhaps violated more than any others that I see, and it is so sad because it works so well and it looks so effortless. Because, of course, you're just standing still, so it is effortless. Um Somehow managers, I don't know, Mike, somehow they mistakenly believe that wandering around suggests that they're so comfortable uh, with their material. They can wander around with their heads, maybe even looking down at the ground, acting as if they're some sort of college philosophy professor, making small gestures with their hands, musing about the topic. Yeah, yeah, the, the, the nutty college professor. <laughs> yeah. I, I have to tell you. This is just, for executives watching a, a younger or junior manager present, this comes across as galactically stupid. Um, and, uh, another thing that happens, many managers think it sends a powerful kind of energy to the audience if they jump up from their chair when it's their turn to present. And they start talking as they're walking up to the front of the room. In other words, they start their speech as they're getting up from their chair. Thanks, Bob, and da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. It's, this is equally dumb because so many, um, so, so often when they do get in front of the room, they have to fiddle with electronics or they have to hand out materials or they have to start all over again. And so all of that introduction, which is supposed to send the message that they were really comfortable with their, with their material, essentially becomes moot. And it's then perceived retroactively as nervousness on the part of the presenter. Yeah. And stage um, affected. Yeah, exactly. You know, I thought, yeah, you're right. Stage effect. Yeah, yeah. In other words, intentionally designed to send a message, which is then pri uh, very quickly wrong. gutted, <laughs> gutted by by the one's one's own behavior. Yeah. Um, so look, one you, you, one does not roll into the start of a presentation. One does not dance around. You are fighting for your audience's attention, and I assure you, it is a fight. They have Blackberries, they have trios, they have cell phones, they have families, they have deadlines, they have other decks, they have e email that their admin has printed out for them that they think they can do in front of you in the meeting. Yeah, they'll you know, them are probably praying. Yeah, <laughs> never mind that it's over their Crackberry, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly, yeah, Crackberry prayer, yeah. Um, as bold as people have gotten about checking email in front of other people, 
You'd think that everyone else would have figured out that the presentation arena has become a battleground for attention, uh, and the stage that you're on is no longer a throne. Um, you're just, when you're talking, you're just the only non-connected person in the room anymore, which may actually be a disadvantage to some of the less intelligent folks that you're about to try to convince of whatever it is you're talking about. Hmm. Um, so look, how do you get people's attention? Uh, you do any studying of how to get people's attention, to start a presentation, to, to give, to, to, to capture people. Now, you may then lose them promptly. I know I've done that. I've captured people's attention and then lost them immediately. But psychologists will tell you you get people's attention by creating discontinuity. I'm going to say that again. We create discontinuity. That is to say audio and visual auditory. Visual and auditory discontinuity. Here's how you do that. Your audience, your audience is expecting movement and sound from you. So when you start, you stand still and allow a moment of silence before you begin. That's the underlying proposition. You want, you want attention. Attention comes from discontinuity. Discontinuity is based on what they're expecting. You give them the opposite, and for a moment, all the eyes in the room will be upon you, eyes and ears. And again, once you start talking, <laughs> all bets are off. Um, but let, let, let's go. Let, let's give the real detail behind the scenes. Yeah, but that's when an interesting we, point, though. That interesting point, though, is you don't create discontinuity by speaking more loudly or oh, faster yeah. or, or doing more of what they expect. You're causing this discontinuity by doing the exact, exact opposite of what they expect, right? Yes, right. And, yeah. and, and going further, imagine the moment of silence. The great thing about the moment of silence is if you start out with volume as your discriminator, as your creator of discontinuity, you now have a, you've essentially set the bar way higher. It means that you have to go above what your introduction was for the rest of your rest of your presentation in order to make a difference. If you start with no sound at all, and I'm only t we're only talking half a second or a second, okay? If you start with no sound at all, you can have a fairly low intonation in the beginning, and then the peaks that you need to make with your, with your volume don't need to be that high, but it comes across as very, very confident. Interesting. Yeah. Good. Okay. Subtle, but... Very good. Okay. Okay. Good. So when we say stand still, here's what we mean. We're not. We're not kidding around. This is. We have. Uh, I don't know. There's got to be ten or twelve things here, Mike. Um, first, plant both your feet on the floor. <laughs> you are not shuffling your feet. Both the balls of your feet and the heels of your feet are on the floor at the same time. We're not rocking back and forth. We're not swaying. Okay, both your feet on the floor, not moving, not walking, not not one toe touching the ground with your with not your right toe pointing at the ground uh, and your left hand making a little steeple uh, of fingers on the table as if you're totally confident and relaxed. Plant both your feet on the floor and do not move them. Um, shoulder width apart. We don't want people standing at attention, which would be your feet, heels together, feet at a 45-degree angle. You want to re look relaxed. Um, and a balanced frame, which is to say putting the center of gravity of your body over something that makes it easy to control, uh, a balanced frame is not only easier to relax with, it appears relaxed to an audience as well. 
further, do not move your feet. I, I think I've already really covered this one, but again, it's not. this is not a time for energy. We're not really starting our talking. We're, ta- we're starting our presentation, and the presentation includes not talking. Again, t- it's a time for discontinuity. You want to pause in all ways. Not moving your feet is part of your visual pause. Next, square your shoulders to the center of gravity of the group to which you are presenting. What does that mean? Uh, the way a coach of mine described this was if everyone in the room, not you, turned and started moving towards one another and the group eventually and gradually collapsed in on itself and became more and more dense to a single point, where would everyone end up? Okay, so it's, it's the black hole in the room. <laughs> it's, it, it is the center of the table in many, many, many cases. Okay. Um, do not, n- next point, do not cross uh, it, your... It, it, let's be clear, because I, I think I may have confused people. If I said it's a black hole, I, mean, I think everybody um, has been in presentations where there is a, a black hole in the room where all good ideas go in and never come out again. Yes, We're not really right. talking about that. <laughs> um, but it would be dense if you put a lot of people on a very small point. Yeah. Um, do not cross your arms. It's, it's seen as arrogant. It's condescending. Let, let's not insult our audience before we ask them to see things our way, okay? <laughs> um, dear me, don't put your hands in your pockets. If it helps, gentlemen, many ladies' outfits don't have pockets, and so they don't make this mistake. And for many years, guys, gentlemen's clothes had no pockets either. Hmm. Um, expensive suits often come without trouser pockets because gentlemen who wear expensive suits know that if you put something in your pockets, it messes up the line of your trousers, and so your keys or your wallet don't go in your pocket. That's why uh, uh, many, many uh, well-to-do gentlemen have billfolds and not wallets, and those billfolds are longer than a dollar bill or a a pound or a franc or a euro or whatever, and it goes in the breast uh, uh, pocket of their suit coat. but nothing goes in uh, uh, pockets uh, of trousers or skirt, least of all your hands. A little bonus here. Empty your pockets before you begin. All of your pockets. If you start moving around and getting excited and change is in there, it makes noise. Your keys make noise. It is distracting. I know of one institution that requires its professors as one of the steps it does before the professor is allowed to present to empty their pockets. And they put always put their in, the, the stuff in their pockets in the same place in the presentation area. Everybody knows they can look and see that there's something in there that that person has emptied their pockets. This is serious business. <laughs> um, okay, now this one is a tough one for people, Mike. Uh, many, many people have really struggled with this. Um, your hands fall loosely to your sides. It will feel weird. But if you take a moment and get a full-length mirror and put your feet shoulder-width apart and, and balance yourself effectively and let your hands fall lightly to your sides, it looks completely normal. It looks fine, 
even as it doesn't feel so. And I know it sounds corny, but you should know I've done it. Practice until it gets comfortable. Hmm. Or if that if you just can't seem to get over that mental jump, that mental piece there, um, bend your elbows so you're able to clasp your hands lightly in front of you at waist or belt height. We're not wringing our hands. Your hands are not moving uh, um, repetitively, um, one on top of the other or rubbing or whatever. You're not interlacing your fingers. You're not steepling your fingers or your thumbs. Um, uh, Palms together, fingers at 90 degree angles to one another. You do this a lot. Yes, I do. Um, so if you think about the typical uh, uh, way uh, that uh, their the pictures uh, depict human beings praying with their palms together and their fingers in alignment, okay, and then take one hand and turn it 90 degrees so that now your fingers are pointed at right angles to one another, and then you curl each set of fingers over the back of the other hand, that's how you hold your hands in front of you if you don't want to put them hanging loosely at your side. Next, I, we're I'm still quite. I like the steeple thing because it makes me look really smart. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, if you're a PhD and you're delivering a a um, a market research report, and the fact is your credibility is all about you being smarter. Okay, that's fine. But we're probably not talking to that many PhDs, and quite frankly, the other smart people in the room will think that you're trying to outsmart them, and they won't like it. <laughs> Um, which loses your, which reduces your ability to be persuasive. And the only reason you're standing up in front of a room, don't kid yourself, it is not to inform. If you've been told you all you're doing is giving a project update, you're just giving us information that you are being led to slaughter. You have been misled on purpose. You are always your purpose is to persuade, which is to have them know what it is you know and feel what it is you feel. That is a persuasive effort and argument. Simple as that. Okay. Okay. All right. I won't do it anymore. (laughs) Oh, you know, you're pretty good at this. Um, Okay. Now make eye contact with everybody in the room serially. Now look, if there's 60 people in the room, okay, fine. Don't. Um, But, and you're going to hear me talk about this over and over and over again. One never speaks to a group, Mike. One speaks to individuals who happen to at that moment to be aggregated into something that other people might call a group. You cannot convince a group of anything. It's the individuals that get persuaded. Eye contact is a big part of persuasion with individuals. I, I, this, this one to me is fascinating because I've seen guidance many times about making eye t- contact with a group. And, and sometimes folks are told, like, hey, find somebody that you see as friendly in the group and then make eye contact with that person. And, yeah. And almost leading to believe that that's sufficient. And I think what you're saying, that, that isn't sufficient. It's no, it's to not. make contact with every single individual in the room. I, I think I think it's one of our future principles, actually, is eye contact. And one, I'll steal our thunder in advance here. One, one of the things that people do is they make eye contact with someone friendly, and everybody knows who they're making, with whom they're making eye contact with. But that's not important. What everybody else also knows is you're not making eye contact with me, yeah. which must mean there's a weakness that you perceive that I'm going to point out, and I'm going to start digging for it. Yeah, interesting. 
If yeah. you're willing to stand up in front of the group, you must be willing to have the presentation that you give to everybody in the room. You must be willing to give it to every individual in the room, which must mean you make them feel like they've been presented to individually, which means you must make eye contact with them. Simple as that. Yeah, and it, the other QED. side effect appears to me is that um, if you do that, that, the time it takes you to make that eye contact is probably about the amount of time you need to pause to establish that power position. There you go. One or two seconds. Exactly right. Uh, this is the auditory discontinuity, quiet. The first few times you do it, it will kill you. <laughs> People will, it, it will be like you're at a red light and the light turns green or you're waiting for the light to turn green and uh, and you miss, uh, it's that feeling of, oh, I think it should be now. No, it should be now. Um, it works, 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 works. Take a moment and pause. Okay, now you finish your pause. Smile. Not broadly, not a big grin, but a small, simple smile. And as a, a coach of mine once said, Mark, it's time to bring out the dopamine, which is the, <laughs> the, uh, the positive brain uh, chemicals that make everybody feel good, which a smile will do. Your results will be better if you smile after your auditory and visual discontinuity before you begin speaking. Int oh, that's it. That's Okay, so let me just make sure I got you there. A smile afterwards. Not not walk up with a big grin in your face at the beginning, but after you've made the eye contact, after the one or second, two second pause, the smile yes. being kind of the invitation to begin the conversation, so to speak. Right. Certainly okay to be looking and smiling, but you don't want to be walking up to the front and making eye contact with everybody and smiling at everybody. That's unnecessary. Um, you will do better in general if you do not hurry to get to this position. Probably should have said that at the start, but but you don't want to rush to get up there. You, you a little bit of pregnant pause is a good thing. Now, if this feels a little bit like theater to people, the first few times you do it, it will be, and then after that, you'll discover you feel better, you're more relaxed, and your audience gives you more respect. They will stay quieter and attentive longer if you essentially say, "There's a clock in the room, and I'm slowing it down." by making these auditory, making these statements that are auditorily and visually discontinuous. Good. And let me ask a question, though. The, the, you know, we talked about the power position. We talked about, you know, largely how to stand and conduct yourself. But, right. but is, is there a physical location? I mean, can you stand, can you do these things that we, you just talked about anywhere in the room, or is there a particular position, geographical position within the room that is, quote unquote, the power position? Yeah. The answer to both questions is yes. You can do this anywhere. Um, you don't have to be in the power position. Um, but, if, but, but there also is a power position. And if you do it there, you are doing this on crack. It's even better. Um, there is a place in every room, in every physical layout, every distribution of audience members, which is the most powerful position in the room. It's a combination of physical space and tables and length and breadth and acoustics and corporate culture, audio visuals, and on and on and on. It's impossible to give a formula, though God knows I've tried over the years for my sales and my speech clients. It can be fairly subtle. That said, though, we can talk about the most common situation, which is a meeting room. Okay, um, The power position when someone is standing to present in most meeting rooms is at the foot of the table assuming no one is sitting at the head of the table or to the speaker's left of the head of the table if you can't be directly on the axis of the table. In other words, if there's someone sitting there, then you don't want to stand behind them, okay? 
So I want to say that again. Um, the power position when, when you're standing in most meeting rooms is at the foot of the table, uh, assuming no one is sitting at the head of the table or to the speaker's left of the head of the table if you can't be directly on the axis of the table. It's left right to the audience because the majority of the audience is right-handed. And they would see themselves gesturing toward their audiovisuals with their right hand. Now, I admit, this supposes that the foot of the table is the one where the leader would not sit. In other words, the leader would sit at the opposite end from where visuals would be projected. And you would be standing at the end where the visuals were down the table from the leader, the leader's at the head, you're therefore at the foot, you're standing there because that's where the presentation is going to come. Now look, it's possible that your meeting room is different or that your culture doesn't know this. Yes, it's totally possible. It's possible you'll simply stand where everybody else does and that may be fine. We would su suggest that it's possible you could change it and people will notice. I mean, boy, they will notice. Um, it will make you more effective, though, in some cases, there are risks associated with it. This is one of those moments, Mike, where I start planning our video casts right. uh, and think, That's okay, exactly how, how can I'm we thinking. teach this? Right, yeah. yeah. Um, um, but for now, we encourage everyone to post where is the power position in my situation questions in the forums, and we'll help you figure it out. Um, and, and, and the point is this. If you can't figure it out right away, don't rack your brains for half an hour. Don't try to come up with your own thing. Think about where people present in that room other times or ask a peer of yours who's presented in that room where, where people normally present from. Pay attention. Usually there's a, there's a function around audiovisuals, um, and, and usually the head of the table is opposite that. Um, but regardless of that, you can make a noticeable improvement. Remember, that's what we talked about at the beginning of the cast. You're going to make a noticeable improvement even with just this one principle. You can make a noticeable improvement with nothing to do with the power position of the room by just behaving differently to creating that audio and visual discontinuity um, standing still um, when you start. Yeah. Well, in the meantime, until we get our video cast, we'll have everybody uh, post pictures of your conference room up on Flickr, tag it Manager Tools Power Position, and then we'll we'll go look at it. <laughs> oh, that's great! I didn't even think about that. I will sort of a sort of an interesting case of a mashup. That's uh, you, you using the web to facilitate our our training. That's good. Yeah, uh, I, I was kind of joking, but if somebody did that, that'd be pretty cool. We'll yeah, see. yeah. Please don't email us pictures of your um, of your your room because um, we'll get overloaded. Um, and and look. Um, as we say, stand still when you start. When we talk about this again in the future, we're going to be talking about owning your opening, which is when you start talking, how to own that introductory part. Most managers really mess that up. And you should assume that you should be getting ready for rehearsals. If you want to be great as a presenter, you're going to have to rehearse. And I don't know why more people don't do it, but it's a huge competitive advantage. Cool. Excellent. Thanks, Thanks partner. Okay. We'll see you later. Okay, folks, that's it. My wife is upstairs calling me to start the holiday meals, so I'm going to run off. So enjoy the holidays, and we'll talk again next week. Until then, see you on the discussion forums. So long. Bye.